Hello and welcome back. Another edition of Big Red Huddle. Today is January 27th, 2024. We're going to talk all things Husker athletics. Uh, today's show, we're going to focus uh, quite a bit on Nebraska basketball, which isn't typical for us. Um, we had a big week uh, with games against Northwestern and Ohio State. We'll recap uh, some of those. We will get into a few football headlines. A um, little bit of a quiet period here until we get into spring ball. And then we'll wrap up with uh, a couple of national storylines. And within the episode, um, I've got two really um, what I would call hot takes uh, that I really want to interact with the audience on. Uh, do I have anybody on my side? Uh, do you agree with these takes? Or am I on an island by myself? Which um, happens happens quite a bit, and I'm okay with that. So, uh, again, just since we are so new into this, we are on Apple iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. All of those can be found at Big Red Huddle. We also have the website up and going, BigRedHuddle.com. Uh, we got the podcast uh, feeding into that with a couple of uh, additional elements uh, on there from this past week. So, with that, let's let's huddle up and let's let's get into today's uh, agenda. So, full disclosure, I am recording this in the middle of the Maryland game. My initial plan was to wait until after uh, the Maryland uh, matchup and and really discuss some of the outcomes from there. Uh, full disclosure, we're eight minutes to go in the game. And uh, we're down by 24, so uh, not gonna not gonna focus so much on that uh, during this episode. We'll hit on it a little bit here as we get through Nebraska basketball, but let's let's take a step back and go back a week to Northwestern. Uh, so think about where this team was at the time coming into this game, coming off of that just disaster in Piscataway. Juwan Gary looked like he was out for the year. Uh, got some good news on that just prior to the game last Saturday. Uh, sounds like it's just a calf strain will be out a couple weeks obviously didn't play uh, against Northwestern but this was just a really good response uh, from the team holistically coming off of that performance wasn't really sure how they would respond Northwestern's a dang good basketball team uh, so finished it out 75 69 uh, fantastic environment and PBA it was alumni weekend uh, return of Danny knee a lot of those guys from the 90s were back in the house that's where I grew up. That's my time frame. Uh, Eric Strickland, Eric Piakowski, uh, Piakowski hitting that shot at, at halftime from midcourt just brings back a lot of really cool memories. Um, but getting back to the game itself, the story of this game for me was rebounding and defense. Um, wasn't sure how the team would be in those areas specifically without Jawan Gary. He's kind of what I would consider the enforcer on the team does a lot of things uh, within the game that don't necessarily show up in the stat sheet but we finished plus 14 in rebounds uh, Sam Hoiberg was just unreal on defense um, really just bottling up Northwestern's best player Boo Booey um, Fred after the game even said Bowie's one of the top five point guards in the country not just the Big Ten he finished 2 of 15 from the field with just nine points well under his season average Got to give a lot of credit to uh, Sam Hoiberg in that position. And then you come down the stretch. I think we were up six there with, with a minute and a half to go. Some really poor offensive possessions on Nebraska sides. Northwestern comes down and cuts it to two. Uh, we have the possession with about 30 seconds to go. Again, nothing real. The ball's not really moving. Don't have a lot of um, 
cohesiveness there on the offensive end. Tomonaga just steps up and hits just a crazy three-pointer with the shot clock winding down. Just up two at that point. Crowd goes nuts. Tomonaga goes nuts. And, uh, you know, we were kind of teetering at that moment and just, you know, massive, massive uh, stones on Tomonaga to A, take that shot, B, to just nail it, nothing but net. Um, just just a really cool moment there in, in PBA. I should also mention also um, Josiah Alec uh, within that game. Uh, with Gary out, he then comes back into the starting lineup. Uh, 15 points, five boards, just a lot of, again, those hustle plays that don't show up in the stat sheet. And so uh, he deserves a, a shout out uh, for his performance. And so that leads us then into Ohio State on Tuesday. And the recap of this game is pretty simple. It's the rink mast game. Um, I was starting to really worry about rink mast coming into this game. He struggled mightily at Rutgers. Didn't follow it up with a great performance at Northwestern. Was starting to wonder, um, is it fatigue? Is there a mental piece there? Is his knee still out of whack? Uh, just, you know, kind of wondering where he was as we go down the stretch of the season. Well, he answered that for me in um, exemplary fashion. 24, or I'm sorry, 34 points, 13 of 17 shooting, 6 of 8 from three-point range. Um, step back three there at the end of the first half was, was really impressive. So anywhere I had out the door, um, just what a performance from, from him. Um, also want to mention, not just in this game in particular, but, but C.J. Wiltshire. I, I mean, personally, I had somewhat written the guy off um, coming into the year, and he's established himself as a legitimate Big Ten six-man of the year. He's bought into his role. Um, just really excited for the kid um, individually and, and him getting some of the success that he's now uh, achieving. Uh, his three-point shooting has been not just unreal but consistent all year uh, but going into the Maryland game he was up to 40 percent um, you're starting to see him get more and more minutes as the season goes on uh, in in the Ohio State game he was up to to 30 minutes in the game which was one of the the higher uh, points within the team and then yeah, coming back to Tomonaga this, this is where I'm going to start to get into that first hot take that I really want um, some feedback on and some, some dialogue. His minutes have started to decrease a little bit as we get further, further into Big Ten play. Uh, it was down to 27 minutes against Northwestern, reduced to just 14 versus Ohio State. And he was off the court during a lot of those big runs in the second half. And so um, here's where the hot take is, is... is um, when Tomonaga is on, you've got to ride the guy, right? There, there. I mean, there's when he's hot, he can change a game in an instance. But when he's not on, he's a major liability on the floor, especially defensively. He's just not quick enough to stay in front of guys. Um, he's overpowered in the in the, in the post. He's really slow on rotating, on pick and rolls. And if you go back and look at the stat sheet on some of these games, he's one of the worst on the team from a plus-minus perspective of when he's on the floor. And so going back to some of my previous takes here with, with respect to C.J. Wiltshire and Sam Hoiberg, when you get those two guys on the floor together, 
um, you have, obviously have Mast and you've got Bryce Williams, et cetera. Those are some of our better lineups. Some of our better line, lineups are without Tomonaga on the floor. And so what I really appreciate about Fred is as the years progressed and he's identified when Tomonaga is not at, at, at his strongest suit, he's not afraid to pull him out of the game. And the other thing is as we've, as Fred's developed this team and developed this lineup, he's developed it in a way that we are not 100% dependent on Tominaga going off on the offensive side of the floor. If he's off, we've got Bryce Williams, Rink Mass, John Gary when he's healthy, C.J. Wilcher when he gets hot, um, even Jamarcus Lawrence are all capable scorers and capable of um, putting this team on their back in, in a critical situation and, and pulling us across the finish line. And so my, my hot take, I guess, would be you, you've got to start Tominaga. Obviously, he's one of your five best. But if he is not shooting just absolutely lights out, he's a liability on this team and on the floor, and we can win games without him. Um, and so if, if, if we see him struggling early on in games, I like how Fred is taking control and pulling him from those situations and relying on some of these other guys who um, are also extremely talented scorers and can get the ball uh, in, in the hoop. So um, would welcome, obviously, any and all feedback and dialogue kind of on that take. I, I, like everybody else, love Tominaga. I love watching the guy. Hit The way he plays is really fun. When he's on, he's as exciting as anybody in college basketball. Uh, but when we're thinking about wins and losses and what we um, need, um, there, there are going to be times as we come down the stretch here where, where he's replaced by uh, the C.J. Wilchers of the world, um, Joan Gary and, and, and uh, Sam Hoiberg. So something to watch as we as we come down the, the stretch here and so again I, I was looking to um report that re record this pod after the maryland game um we, early on we got up 12-2 it was looking really good uh from there it's it's really snowballed just looking up at the tv right now 5:30 left to go in the game 68 45 maryland really from the 10 minute mark in the first half on it's it's been really ugly basketball for nebraska uh, this team has got to figure out a way to win at least a couple um, on the road. Uh, we, we have some opportunities coming up. Uh, those Minnesota and Rucker games, Rutgers games are going to hurt uh, tremendously. Um, but there, there's not a lot to recap here with, with the American Maryland game. It's one that we're going to have to probably flush and, and move forward on. And so going forward, as I look at the season, um, I like to kind of chunk the season out into four or five game stretches uh, coming into this Maryland game. This next four game stretch in my mind was vital when thinking about NCAA tournament um, and, and then also potentially seeding within the NCAA tournament. So you've got today at Maryland at Maryland. Obviously, that's that's now a loss. Uh, Thursday is home against Wisconsin, uh, top 15 team. Perhaps when we see them next week, top 10. Um, already blew us out once in Madison. And then Sunday, you turn around, you go at Illinois, another top 15, perhaps top 10 team. And then the following Wednesday, at Northwestern. Obviously, we beat Northwestern at home. We just talked about that, but it's a different animal on the road. Um, and so as I break down this four-game stretch, which is, which is 
really difficult. Um, I was thinking in my mind, is, is there somehow we can scrap out two and two in the stretch? Two and two would be amazing. Um, you go two and two, you can about punch your ticket, and then you start thinking about seeding. Um, Maryland was probably the easiest of the four. Some would argue maybe Wisconsin because it's at home, but um, that Maryland game's now now an L. So how do you get how do you get two out of Wisconsin, Illinois, Northwestern? That's going to be really tough. Um, not going to say it's impossible, but it, it's tough. You got to get Wisconsin at home, obviously. Um, but then you know even with without that, I I came into this four game stretch one and three is even okay um, because after you get past the stretch of four the the schedule lightens up tremendously with penn state um michigan you got rutgers coming back home you got minnesota at home like th there's plenty of wins to be had after you get through this four game stretch but you've got to get one at minimum oh and four isn't a death blow uh by any means um but it would sure sting quite a bit and and it would mean three more road losses again no road or no road wins it would mean a home loss to Wisconsin, um, kind of puts you behind the eight ball and really forces you to get extremely hot and, and reel off five, six in a row uh, to finish out the season. So uh, disappointing that we're gonna we're gonna start off this four game stretch with an L. Uh, just have to flush it and then really focus back on Wisconsin, who's coming in on Thursday. It's absolutely winnable. It's a quad one opportunity uh, at Illinois quad one at Northwestern will probably be a quad one. So you've got three quad win, quad one win opportunities ahead of you. Uh, let's see if if they can take advantage of it. And so um, just to wrap up basketball coming into today, I, I was looking at a couple things uh, from a net ranking perspective. We were at 47. Uh, that's obviously going to go down after today. Maryland was 93, uh, so it's going to be a quad two loss. Um, I don't think we're, I mean, it's not going to kill us. It'll probably take us back down into the upper 50s, mid 50s. Um, and so that's, you know, again, not, not a killer to lose at Maryland, just a huge missed opportunity. And then as of this morning, ESPN Joel Lenardi had us as a nine seed playing Texas Tech in Boston. Uh, CBS Jerry Palm has us as an eight seed playing in Brooklyn versus Ole Miss. So most bracketology um, publications out there has Nebraska squarely in the field. Um, but we've got three really tough games ahead of us as we just talked about. Got to find a way to get one. Get one at least. If you get two, um, you're cooking with gravy, and um, you're probably playing for seeding at that point. So let's see how the next week plays out. Um, when we when we get together next Saturday, we'll have the Thursday game to talk about versus Wisconsin. Hopefully we're coming off of a win. Uh, we have some good feelings there as we then um, prepare to go on the road against Illinois and Northwestern. So that's the basketball segment today. Again, we got the one hot take that I'd really want some feedback on, the Casey Tomanaga um take i you know i, I know people are going to be really disappointed after this maryland game um you know it, it's tough to win on the road really tough to win on the road in the big 10 as as we've seen i just really hope those Rutgers and minnesota games don't come back to haunt us come come selection sunday so let's wrap up basketball let's transition into some football this is where um you know the pod as we as we really get going and establish ourselves this is where the pod's gonna you know gonna be our focus is football we'll always hit on baseball and basketball um and then some of those women's sports as as headlines come our way but my passion 
is and, and always has been Nebraska football. So um, last week we talked about Glenn Thomas. He is now official co-offensive coordinator and QB coach. Uh, he was in the office this week. He, he's, he's official. He's working. He's acclimating, meeting with players, um, beginning to form kind of his 2025 QB recruiting board. Uh, he's got some things to do on the NCAA side before he can go out and officially start um, on the road, getting into schools, meeting meeting guys, etc. Um, I do think he'll probably get out next week, uh, which is the last week uh, before the the dead period sets in. And so as we as we kind of look at the 2025 QB board for recruiting purposes, uh, there's two guys out there that are um, being actively recruited, have offers. Uh, first one, I'm sure all you guys are, are aware of, Alex Mansky out of Algona, Iowa. Um, he's really been the top 2025 target going back over summer camp. Um, some recently have him trending towards uh, towards Iowa State. Uh, he's also visited Texas A&M um, after coming off of a recent offer there. And then a new name's popped up here in the last couple weeks, Matt Zollers um, out of Royersford, Pennsylvania. Uh, he's the only other uncommitted 2025 QB target with an offer. Um, a couple weeks ago, it was actually assumed he was a lean towards Penn State. Then Penn State picked up a commitment from a different 2025 um, QB. And so since um, since then, Zollers has picked up offers from Nebraska, Michigan State, Kentucky, Boston College, Virginia, Georgia, and Florida. In several interviews, um, he's mentioned Nebraska as one that he certainly has interest in. Uh, nothing is imminent at this point. No visits have been set up. Um, this is this is where I will be interested to see um, if we can get Glenn Thomas on the road next week. I would assume he's for sure seeing Alex Mansky. Does he also make his way out to Pennsylvania and see Zollers? And then third, is there another QB out there that we're not aware of yet that uh, could be in line for an offer? And so as we really evaluate the QB room holistically, it, it's an interesting situation and one that's going to be tough for the coaching staff to kind of thread a needle. You've got three quarterbacks on scholarship. Everybody knows the names. You've got two true freshman elite 11 quarterbacks, Daniel Kalen, Dylan uh, Raiola, and then um, you've got Heinrich Harbour coming back. He'll be a junior. When you look at the QB room, um, you generally want four scholarship QBs. We're only going to have three uh, going into the spring and so as as Thomas and others get out onto the on onto the road recruiting is a big time 2025 high school quarterback going to be willing to come in and probably sit behind a true a, a a individual that's going to start as a true freshman right so when they come in they'll have a true sophomore in front of them um that they're going to have to try to compete with and 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 beat out and most likely right it's 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 Raiola, um, so that's going to be tough. It's going to take a special individual to come in and, and want to do that. Um, and so in in my mind, how I evaluate or look at this, I, I I would almost think if you can't get an Alex Mansky or a Matt Zollers, you probably punt on twenty twenty five high school QB recruiting, and you look towards twenty twenty six. Where you then have Dayton Raiola, who's who's waiting in the wings there. You can always come back into the transfer portal, and I actually expect them to look heavily in the transfer portal during the spring um, period. 
Can you get an experienced QB that's willing to come in and mentor and probably be second string behind a Raiola? Um, again, takes a special individual. You've definitely got to thread a needle. I'm not going to say it's easy and you can just go out there and pluck this individual. But I do think they want a fourth quarterback in that room for 2024. And then, you know, like I mentioned, 2025 is going to be really tough um, to find that individual um, that's that's kind of another alpha that, that believes in themselves, believes in their opportunity to come in and compete. Um, I would personally love to see an Alex Mansky in this class. If I'm in Alex Mansky's shoes, if I'm a parent of Alex Mansky, I'm probably not coming in to sit behind Raiola. I'm looking at Iowa State. I'm looking at Texas A&M or some of these other opportunities that that he has in in front of him. So that's Glenn Thomas. That's that's really the quarterback uh, situation as I see it today. And so as we kind of transition again, uh, continue to get a lot of questions around Dana Holgerson. Um, as I mentioned last week, there's there's not a lot to update here, um, and there's really not a hurry on either side, on either Nebraska side or Dana Holgerson's side. I, I mentioned last week that I foresee this going into February. Obviously now we're five, six days out from February. And so that that's obviously likely at this point. Um, I do think there's an open offer for Dana Holgerson to join the staff as an analyst. I think Dana Holgerson is very interested in that opportunity. Um, at last week, I did mention there was an LSU OC opening that, that they were potentially talking with Dana on. Uh, that has now been filled internally, and so that no longer is an option. And just reinforces my, my view, my thinking, and what I've heard is that um, I fully expect Dana Holgerson to be part of this staff as an analyst. Um, it, when you bring in somebody like Dylan Raiola, it obviously attracts other individuals like a Dana Holgerson who want to be part of that. Ultimately, Dana Holgerson's goal and objective is to become a head coach once again. And so he's just simply evaluating what gives him the best opportunity to achieve that. And as of right now, I think that will be um, Nebraska. But the, the focus right now on Nebraska side, I think, is recruiting um, and winter conditioning. Focus on Dana's side has been more of just um, R&R and, and evaluating the landscape of the game um, before jumping back in. So um, early February, mid-February wouldn't surprise me. I do think he'll be um, an, an analyst for Nebraska here before uh, spring spring practice kicks off. So we'll continue to monitor it. We'll continue to provide weekly updates on on that story because um, it, it's not going away anytime soon. So a couple, one more Nebraska football-related item before we get into some national storylines, really one national storyline. Uh, spring game details came out. Um, this Wednesday uh, un, um, from from Trev Alberts. A couple interesting things uh, from this. Uh, we already knew the game was going to be played on Saturday, April 27th. That's that's later than than usual. Um, should provide. I, I like the later um, the later time slot uh, for a couple reasons. One. Um, it gives you more time for winter conditioning before you transition into football activities. It allows you to get through spring break before you kick off spring practice. So in previous years, we've had like a week or two of spring practice. We've paused for spring break, come back and done another week or two of spring practice. This will allow us to get all the way through spring break, come back, you have a week to acclimate, and then you get right into spring practice and you have 
15 consecutive practices over a five-week um, period with without a break. Cap that off with the Saturday, April 27th spring game. Um, and then you should have much better weather um, in late April than we've had recently in some of the early to mid-April. Last year was, was absolutely horrid. It was freezing cold, windy, spitty rain. Um, and so hopefully we'll, we'll get a nice, beautiful uh, Saturday. And so with that, another kind of interesting thing that was announced is it's an 11 a.m. kick. So that was, that was new. Um, typically, it's been more of a 1 p.m. kick. And so reason for the 11 a.m. kick, it, uh, it provides an opportunity to accommodate fans who want to attend baseball and or softball, um, both on um, playing games that Saturday. Baseball will be against Iowa. Iowa should be um, the favorite for the Big Ten Conference. That'll be a big-time matchup. And then softball versus Northwestern. Northwestern's always um, a power on the softball side. And so um, get out there and see, see Jordy Ball. So should be a, a really fun fun weekend football at 11 uh, baseball and softball times haven't been announced yet but um, i know i'll be there to to see football we'll probably be trying to get in and see baseball as well just kind of depends on the time and and what's going on that that particular weekend um, another change that was announced uh, ticket prices have have gone up by five dollars so $15 for adults, $5 for students. This is a $5 increase over previous years. Um, previously, it was $10 for adults. Students were, were free. Um, so in, an increase there a little bit. And then, you know, just, just overall thoughts. We're going to get much deeper into spring football. I don't want to go into a lot here. But it's, it's going to, you know, one of the big things that um, Matt Rule talks about is competition. And, and he, he talks about it in every press conference. And, this spring, you're going to have 23 newcomers on the roster. They're there now, 17 in the high, from the high school ranks, six transfers. You've got Dylan Riola. You've got Daniel Kaline for the first time. Um, and so if you can't get excited about this, this spring game, uh, probably not going to get excited about one moving forward. So I'll be there. Um, really stoked for it. Hoping we can, we can pack the place and, and provide a really cool environment, not only for the newcomers, but for what will certainly be a big um, recruiting opportunity as well. And so before we wrap up, let's transition into uh, national storylines. I'm only going to focus on one today. And this is where my second hot take comes in. And so this is th this one I think I have more of an opportunity for people to align with me than maybe the Tominaga one. And so uh, we've hinted at it the last couple of weeks. Jim Harbaugh has officially uh, taking a job in the NFL with the Los Angeles Chargers. That's the exact landing spot that we projected last week. Wasn't a big surprise by, um, by any means. Really the perfect spot for Harbaugh to land. He's always been a huge uh, fan of Justin Herbert. Um, it's one that it's a it's a role it's a position that he's had his eyes on for a while. The overall roster is pretty talented. Um, he's got a chance to go in there and compete immediately. Obviously, same division as the Chiefs and Mahomes. It's not going to be easy, um, but I think it's a really good landing spot for him. And so then the focus, obviously, for for Nebraska, right, that impacts Nebraska and for college will be or was who's taking over for Jim Harbaugh. Well, it was announced last night that Sharon Moore um, will be um, the new coach at the University of Michigan. You'll know Sharon Moore. He was the interim head coach for the last uh, uh, three games of the year uh, for 
uh, Jim Harbaugh's suspension. He also was the interim coach for one of the games at the beginning of the year where Jim Harbaugh was suspended, which is really odd to say. The guy was suspended for six games in 2023, but he was the offensive coordinator, offensive line coach. Um, and so here's here's my hot take is I think this is an awful hire. <laughs> I think this is an awful, awful um, decision for Michigan. And so obviously they're they're trying to keep um, continuity. Uh, they're trying to keep the existing roster intact. Um, but this is the University of Michigan. And Sharon Moore's never been a head coach. Um, he's got very little experience overall. And um, you have you, you see some of the names that were out there, Lance Leipold, Chris Kleiman, Brian Kelly. Um, it feels extremely short-sighted to me to settle on uh, Sharon Moore uh, for this role. Now, some people will say, well, uh, Sharon Moore went 4-0 as a head coach in 2023 at Michigan. Factually, that's accurate. But it's not like Jim Harbaugh wasn't there the whole time. Jim Harbaugh was the head coach for from Sunday up until kickoff on Saturday. Sharon Moore put the headset on for three and a half hours, called the timeouts, did the play calls, et cetera. And then Jim Harbaugh was right back in the locker room after the game and did everything from a game planning perspective, did everything outside of game planning and football that a head coach has to take on from a roster management perspective, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I, I just think this is this is really short sighted um, as you think about, you know, retaining talent, which is, I think, the driving force for for keeping Sean Moore. Um, this team's losing a ton of talent with or without Jim Harbaugh. They're projected for up to 18 uh, draft picks coming up in, in the 2024 draft. Uh, Jim Harbaugh is taking his defensive coordinator. He's taking his son as special teams coach. He's taking uh, his strength and conditioning coach, which is one of the best in the business. And so it's not even that Sharon Moore can keep the existing staff in place uh, to kind of keep that cohesiveness. And so um, this is here. Here's here's what I said to some friends earlier earlier today, and I, I think it's still accurate. And um, where I come from is. When your arch rival, in this case, Ohio State, is the most excited for this hire than anybody else in the country, you've made a mistake. Um, and so I know those up, those individuals up in Columbus are, are celebrating this move by Michigan. Um, ultimately, we're going to play it out over the course of the next couple of years, and we'll see if I'm right or wrong. Um, but would welcome your thoughts. Did, did Michigan make the right call by... Um, promoting, hiring Sharon Moore, or should they have taken a step back and looked more long-term, done a national search? I threw out Lance Leipold, Chris Kleiman, Brian Kelly. I'm sure there are several others that would um, be be begging for that Michigan job. Um, I think they could have done better. Um, I think this is a big blow to Michigan long-term. But again, ultimately, we're going to play this out on the field, and um, that will decide whether this was or was not the, the best move for Michigan. So with that, let's let's wrap up. Um, just thank you again for listening, sticking with us. This is our fourth episode. We're continuing to build on this, continuing to build out some of our platforms. Uh, I need to get more engaged on X and Twitter, so please look me up at Big Red Huddle. Um, again, we are on Spotify, iTunes, uh, YouTube. We've got our website, BigRedHuddle.com. Uh, for now, our cadence is going to be on a weekly 
uh, basis. We try to I try to get a pot out every every Saturday. Again, one man show, just doing this for fun. Got a full time job during the week, um, and so trying to get a pot out uh, on the weekends. And then as we get closer to spring ball, and then ultimately to the season, we will expand upon that as well. If you are listening on on any of those platforms, please drop a rating. Uh, if you're listening on YouTube, give us a follow, thumbs up, helps immensely, gets the word out, and just really appreciate um, each and every one of you sticking with us uh, as we kick this thing off. And so we will huddle up again next week and go Big Red. Have a great week. Thanks, guys. Thank <laughs> you.